Hi, I'm Paul Yeager. This is the MTOM Show podcast, a production of Iowa PBS and the Market to Market TV show. We are going to dive into a topic that is back again in the upper Midwest, and that is HPAI. We're going to be talking about diseases in animals. We'll talk a lot uh, about that today. Our guest is the Secretary of Agriculture in the state of Iowa, Mike Nag where he kind of gives us not necessarily numbers, but what's happened, what's different between the outbreaks of 22-23 and 2015. We'll focus heavily on poultry. We'll also talk about African swine fever just a little bit and just the general sense of how fighting diseases has changed, what has been learned as each one of these outbreaks happens. We'll also talk about those backyard flocks and larger confined operations and what they mean in this story. That is today's MTOM Show Podcast. Your years of being Ag Secretary have been filled with a number of things, but it seems to be you're always out front talking about hypathic, I mean, HPI. Why is that... How did it fall to you yeah. as to be the person that we go to for information and kind of speaking for the state? You bet. Well, you know, when you look at the response to a foreign animal disease, and so it's important to start at the beginning. What is a foreign animal disease? Because in, in livestock production, we're dealing with disease management and herd health all the time. What's different about an FAD? Well, that's those are a, a list of diseases that, you know, there's global treaties around that that countries agree that if they have and those those would be high path avian influenza, African swine fever, foot and mouth disease are the three that we really think about. But if you have that in your country, then you report to this global, you know, consortium, and you say, and, and the idea is that you're trying to prevent the movement of that disease from country to country. So immediately, what happens is trade shuts down. So if we had African swine fever, you know, immediately every export market for pork stops. Mm -hmm. And and then you have to work yourself out of that. And so countries then have protocols that they put together, plans, programs, uh, regulations, laws, you know, they pay indemnity. All of that it leads to you trying to say, we're going to prevent a foreign animal disease, but if we get one that we can then manage it in a way that we can prove that we're free of it at some point, and you can start trading again. So uh, the way that that works in the U.S., is that that's a joint response between uh, states have the primary lead response in most cases. Uh, and then they work together with the USDA. And then, of course, the industry is the third leg to that to that stool. So in Iowa, whether it's by code in, in Iowa law, the Iowa Department of Ag is the lead entity mm -hmm. on that, but also in our relationship with USDA. So, uh, but it, that's pretty logical, right? I mean, we're a state veterinarian works for me, state veterinarians in our office. Uh, it's logical. We've got the expertise to respond. I keep saying this is something I really wish we weren't good at or we didn't know anything about, meaning I really wish we didn't have to deal with it, but we do. I'm not saying I get all my political pop culture references from West Wing, but it, there weren't political shows that used to talk about when they talk about the president or whatever. Only West Wing would be the ones that we have mad cows somewhere. <laughs> you know, so you learned. But I mean, you're filtering information yeah. through because as – your, your boots on the ground. That's right. That's right. So so it's our responsibility both to respond, but also we, we take very seriously the responsibility of, of then communicating about what's happening. You know, there's no food safety 
issue related to high path because, of course, uh, you know, animals that are infected don't make it into the, the supply chain. That's important for consumers to know that. Uh, but it's also important from an economic develop or economic impact standpoint that we also try to minimize the economic fallout from a foreign animal disease. You know, I, again, we're talking high path today, but apply that to foot and mouth disease or African swine fever. If you have it and you have it uh, in, in a serious way, I mean, it, it can impact the price of corn, the price of soybean, every everything, right? We all know that this is all connected. And so those those are the reasons that we, we take it so seriously. And you have certain, I, I guess, checklists. We do. So, and do you refine those from year to year, or absolutely. outbreak to outbreak? You know, so so the famous kind of outbreaks that people look at would be in the UK, foot and mouth disease outbreak, right, early this century, and and devastating impact. A lot of folks, USDA sent a lot of veterinarians over to work in that response, and people brought home a lot of learnings from that. 2015 had been the previous, uh, the biggest foreign animal disease outbreak in U.S. history was in 2015. Uh, we've now surpassed that in the last, this last two years, unfortunately. But 2015 taught us a lot. And, and, and really, Iowa's effort to improve and to raise the bar and have more capacity to respond as the state of Iowa really is born out of 2015. Then Secretary Northey, uh, was, he was Secretary of Ag at the time. I was the Deputy Secretary. Uh, we learned major lessons. The industry learned, USDA learned about how to mount a more effective response. And and so, yes, we've got plans. You know, all foreign animal disease outbreaks are, are sort of the same in that same subject matter. You've still got you've kind of the same procedures, but each disease is different and each industry is different. And so then you have to have kind of specific plans within those. And we exercise those plans. Mm -hmm. And I like to tell our team, if we don't break our plan, we're not testing it hard enough. And so what you want to do is put it through live, multi-day, maybe multi-state exercises, and you really try to break it and then fix it and you know, learn what, what were the gaps? What did, we, what did we realize that we hadn't thought of? And there's always something that you go, my goodness, how did we not think of that? But, but that's the process that we're going through. So that's the process of communicating what <laughs> happened, responding to what happened. But what's been happening? You you say we've mm. surpassed previous yeah. numbers. Well, Does that mean that we've not been as successful in responding with preventing the deaths of animals? So let's we got to look at this a couple ways. So 2015, the last time that we had a massive outbreak in, in high path in the in the country, really it lasted during the spring of the year. So it, high path is being carried by migratory birds. When they fly north, they're bringing it through our area. Uh, when they fly south now, and we've learned in the fall, they can also carry it. But in 15, we only had an outbreak in the spring. And by fall, the wild birds had developed immunity to it, mm -hmm. and they weren't, they weren't spreading the virus anymore. And so that was a half a year kind of experience uh, for us. Uh, but now this last experience, you know, uh, outbreak, it, it goes back to the spring of 22. We had an outbreak in the spring of 22, the fall of 22, the spring of 23, and the fall of 23. And so now we're two years. So yes, it surpassed the numbers in 2015, but I would argue, I mean, we're on, we're on year two of this, this outbreak. As to the question of how are we doing in the response, um, in Iowa, the numbers are dramatically different. You know, we're talking about, you know, again, 51 sites over two years. That year we had 77 mm -hmm. sites in a few months. 
We also saw back in 2015 a lot of movement of the virus from site to site, lateral movement. And that was telling us that there was biosecurity was an issue. It was either moving on equipment or people. Something was happening. It was tracking between, between farms. That hasn't happened this time around. And, and that tells me that those lessons were learned very well. We're still struggling, I think, broadly with how do you uh, how do you prevent wild bird interactions? How, how do you get keep birds from getting into buildings? Those are those are biosecurity questions that have yet to be answered. But also, I would note in this outbreak, we've had fewer large commercial sites and more backyard small flocks, and so our numbers just aren't anywhere close to being the same in terms of total population impacted. I go back to 20 years ago, you still couldn't enter a hog facility without shower in, Mm -hmm. shower out. The hog industry has figured some of that out. But they've had outbreaks of other things caused Mm -hmm. whatever. But did the poultry industry not have those same standards? But I always felt that they did when you're talking about that building to building. Is that what you mean? Or are we talking the rodents that are going from one to the other? It could be that too. There's all kinds of vectors for virus. But in terms of the the biosecurity building to building, it's it's very much that people movement. You've got two distinct kind of industries in the state of Iowa that are being impacted by Hypath. We're number one in egg production. We have very large egg producers, very uh, well-designed, modern facilities that absolutely are every bit the shower in, shower out, uh, high biosecurity focus in that egg industry. And then we have a turkey uh, industry that is a little more like having, you know, finishers, uh, hog finishers that, you know, across the this, this state in multiple sites. And those are a little more exposed to the, the elements. You're not going to see a shower in, shower out uh, facility on a finisher site. And so they are different. We have to keep that in mind. But you know, uh, uh, what I know about biosecurity is it's it's challenging because you've got to do it every single day. It's mm-hmm. costly. Uh, you got to train for it. And, uh, you know, you got to do it right every single time. And, you know, there are, there are things that can happen. So I think there's, there's more to be learned about that. But I'm proud of the fact that uh, the lateral movement has been curtailed and our response is better, as in we detect it faster, we respond quicker, uh, and and those sites are we have disposal and cleanup in process faster, and sites are getting back into business faster. And so those are things that I'm trying to measure and say: Are we being successful or not? Do you get the sense that those people that you've been trying to help get back into business or to get their barns repopulated quicker are more understanding because they have been through it before? Or is it they just know that's going to be the cost of doing mm. business? No, I mean, I every single person that goes through this, believe me, is learning something. This is not something you want to experience. Also, uh, you know, it's important that, uh, you know, you may, you may be a turkey producer that doesn't, has never had an infected premise. That doesn't mean that you're not mm. being affected by this. That doesn't mean that you're not stressed. It might be the, this is your morning to go out and find that you've got a building affected. And so that industry in particular, the, the poultry world in Iowa has done a good job of sharing that experience across. Uh, and, and of course, we've had lots of grower uh, meetings and bring folks together to share the experience. Here's what you can expect. Here's what happens. Here are the challenges that you're going to have. Uh, so no, I I think that that everybody that goes through it learns something. And honestly, we we improve our response every single time that we have to deploy. So uh, that's just part of the process. This, the fact is, this variant of high path that we're dealing with now and over the last two years is just something that's highly infective 
and apparently infective at very small quantities. And so, you know, you can't let your mind wander of how are the various ways that this is making its way in. But, uh, you know, when birds are migrating, when they're flooding the area with virus, it, you know, there are ways that it finds its way in. There might be somebody who's not familiar with how that happens. When you yeah. say flooding an area or the, the wild, those birds are, are flying over. They're dropping. Yeah. They're sharing water. How's that getting from, I mean, we've shored up these facilities. We yeah. have roofs. It's not like we're talking about a wide open right. facility here. It, it's, there are lots of questions about that, to be honest. Hey, look, uh, uh, something that I think has been instructive for people to sort of get their heads around is, well, we all went through COVID the last, you know, several years. And you think, well, how did that move mm -hmm. around? Right. And it's not unlike that. Right. But there, you know, it can be tracked in on boots. Small birds can get into buildings. It comes in through ventilation fans. You know, there, there's a number of ways that, that it can move. Uh, and, and that's where we got to go to the next level here. I'm not of the mind that some people say, well, this is just something we can't, we can never solve. I, I don't believe that. You're not in that camp? No, I, I, I don't believe that. I can't allow myself to be <laughs> in that situation because I think there's always more that we can do. And, and really what I know, and, and I think what's borne out here over the last couple of years is, look, this has to do with trying to minimize the contact between wild birds and, and anything that can track in or, mm -hmm. or cause that virus to make it into a building. So more to be done. Uh, there, there are some interesting, I think, engineering questions around. Well, so are there are there deficiencies in a design or in a building that that may need to be, sh you know, shored up, and and those are things that need to be uh, researched as well. Do you find the industry doesn't have to necessarily be poultry? That's just the topic. But I mean, the, the hog industry have they been engaged in these discussions of how do we improve yeah. uh, from things we can't control? I can control you and me from going into that yeah. building. I can't control that rodent, yeah. that bird, that whatever getting in the the ventilation vent and causing a problem. That's what we need people to be thinking about. It. it I think it has been instructive across species, right? I mean it. You know, uh, uh, maybe the most analogous would be poultry or turkey to swine because of just the fin the concept of a finisher building and that sort of thing. Uh, species are different. There's no doubt about it. But uh, every producer needs to be thinking about and 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 by the way, you're not just trying to keep a foreign animal disease out of your site. Any disease, mm -hmm. right? Typically, what you would say is the things that you do to improve your biosecurity are things that are helping your herd health and your productivity and your profitability. So. In the long run, those things pay, uh, but but there there are things it, it, we are so thankful that we have not had to deal with this with African swine fever fever, but we are watching it around the world, and it is a threat, and we need to be thinking that way. Well, you've been around long enough to know that the World uh, Pork Expo canceled because right. we're not wanting this virus to go here, even though it. it Probably wouldn't, but it's the what's the political term? Abundance of out of yeah, abundance absolutely. of caution. The COVID term that we heard so much. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's the that's world real. we live in, right? It's real, and and we live in a. You know this as well as anybody. Agriculture is global, right? People move around the world. Products move around the world. Here's the good news. And again, I'm not I'm not a fatalist when it comes to this either. We have kept things out of this country very mm -hmm. successfully. Uh, I believe that we can keep. Uh, we can keep African swine fever out of this country. I don't believe that it's just a matter of, of when, not if. Now, what is it? You got to make sure that you're working to ensure that you can say that. It's Beagle Brigades sniffing out products coming in at airports. It's it's helping uh, country. You know, uh, Dominican Republic has this now. Haiti, very difficult places to work, but 
you sh the, the United States government should be doing what we can to try to help contain that virus where it is. If you can knock it down there, the chance of spreading is reduced. And so those are the things you got you to be proactive. You've got to be aggressive in this. Where are we at in that discussion where it comes to the large concentration of these animals? And is there ever, uh, you know, maybe we ought to look at confinements differently. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that uh, there are many positives for the way that we do what we do in terms of efficiency and cost and, and consumers ultimately benefit from that. You know, those are maybe for other other folks to talk about. I, I try to look at the realities of of our agriculture as it exists today. I do think that people should be thinking about how would you – things that made sense decades ago maybe don't today. And so maybe you wouldn't design a site exactly as – maybe you wouldn't put the feed mill smack dab in the middle of a site because, you know, th those are some things that you, sh you sh could think about. Uh, but, you know, there are many positives for the way that we do animal agriculture. And, and uh, so I, I don't know that that means that we shouldn't do it the way we do because of this. But those are things you have to take into account. How you move people around a site, um, I know there's a lot more thinking about do we know where if we have a vaccine vaccination crew or a crew that's coming onto our farm, do we know where they've been? Are they a you know, contract crew? Did they just show up from somebody else? Those are the types of things that I think be, be wise about those things. And I've seen improvements in that area. The site is going to stay, but how that site operates is what's evolving and changing. Very much so. And how product moves on the site itself, you know, yeah. uh, th those are things that I, I do think that, that warrant investigating. Because there's always going to be those that are going to probably write you letters or stop you in a parade or whatever and just, you know, I'd like to see that confinement agriculture go away. And, and this might be their entry into saying this is why. Yeah. Well, and, and that argument has certainly been <laughs> out there. Again, I would go back to, uh, we can't look at these things in, entirely in isolation, right? This is one component mm -hmm. of, of this. Um, I, I, I've got three children. I, I, we go through eggs like you wouldn't believe at my house. We're looking for lots of protein. You know, I've seen the size muscle. of a couple of them. Yes, I know how they. We're need going their for protein. muscle development yeah. here, so we want high, we want protein. You know, the reality is, uh, we consumers benefit greatly because of the efficient, safe. Uh, you know. Uh, affordable food system that we have. And by the way, there's room for a lot of diversification in that too. So uh, that's the great part of the American food system is you can get what you want. Well, let's look at it this way. From 2015 to 2022, 2023, has the poultry industry changed the way they operate the barns, the sites themselves, like much like a farmer hedges and sells some grain in October, mm. some grain in December. You know what? We're going to put some egg layers in Arkansas. We're going to put some egg layers in Illinois. We're going to spread out our risk in other places. Have you seen that happen? I, I can only speak to what we're seeing in the state of Iowa. And really, we haven't seen in terms of distribution or massive changes in, in, in that, right? I mean, we still have a high concentration of poultry in, uh, well, we've got kind of northwest Iowa and south uh, east Iowa when it comes to turkey production. Uh, egg production is, you know, a lot in, in uh, central and northwestern Iowa. We haven't seen much of a change in, in the state itself. So we're not seeing a, that's not something you're seeing. Not, Interesting. not in Iowa. Right. But I mean, I think you, wouldn't you hear like, I would, I would if, a, if a barn doesn't repopulate with what it was in before? Uh, we've not seen that. Okay. People have brought 
brought uh, facilities back into production. Do you see an expansion of the industry happening? I What I'm seeing is a, I think you are seeing a change in terms of uh, trying to trying to supply a marketplace that's looking for cage-free or different mm. different differentiators, production uh, methods. And so that's, that's what we're seeing, maybe where a building might be replaced and uh, with a different production style. So that's that's more along the lines of what we're seeing. Your name, you, you're known in the circles where these barns operate and heavy concentration farms are. But the backyards, the communities mm-hmm. that have said, oh, you know what, we're going to reallow, yeah. bring back 12, 8, 6 birds. Whatever. I think your latest outbreak as we sit here today, there was a, a backyard outbreak. Yeah. How does Mike Nag, the Secretary of Agriculture, have a message for those in urban communities that might be bringing back and allowing chickens or whatever in their backyard. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Uh, I'm okay with, uh, you know, seeing, you know, I'm not saying I'm for every, uh, you, you should be unlimited in terms of how many chickens in town. I'm not, I, I'm, that's, well, I be, don't really, that's, that's beyond not, my pay grade, but, yeah. but I, I am very comfortable with uh, the idea that people can have backyard chickens and small producers. And we do have some small producers who sell farmers markets or those types of things. There's plenty of room in this, in space for that in the market for that. Uh, here's what we here's what we do talk about, though, is you also, though, are on the front line for high path avian influenza. Just because you have 12 birds or uh, 20 birds or 2,000 birds, you, too, need to be looking for the yeah. signs of high path. You, too, need to be thinking about minimizing contact. So this isn't just a big... And I think that's actually something that has borne out this fall in particular. Again, I said we, we've, we've really had... We've had fewer in terms of large commercial operations and a lot of backyard flocks. So that's a reality and that's okay. It's just that don't don't assume that just because you've only got a few birds that this isn't your this isn't an issue that you have to worry about. So if I grow, let's just say we'll just take a dozen. So if I put mm-hmm. 12 birds in my backyard, mm-hmm. what am I hearing from secretary from the from the Department of Ag in Iowa? Well, take care of those birds and be mindful that you you too could be dealing with high path and if you do, we need to hear from you. Am I getting literature, phone calls? Oh. Uh, do I have permits? I, I guess I don't even no. understand it. No, you're not. I mean, you've got to follow your local ordinances, but no, we don't. Uh, you know, as a rule, we're not we're not having uh, uh, premise IDs for uh, somebody that's got a small you know small backyard flock. But uh, but that's okay. But what we do is we try to through media, through social media, mm-hmm. through uh, you know, and 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 even reaching out directly to folks around some of these sites that go positive. You know, we're trying to really be uh, focused about how do we get messages to them. Um, but actually, I, I take it as a good sign that we do have, uh, you know, again, folks that only have a few chickens that are picking up the phone and calling the department and saying things don't look right today. And we'll go out yeah. and we'll take samples. I, yeah. It's important. So I think we're getting through, but that's my message would be, it's okay. You can have birds, but just know that don't don't assume that this isn't a problem that can affect you. We're going to close with science and food safety. You've mentioned them both. The science of things. You're understanding how this virus transmits. But what are the scientists telling you in this discussion of we found something, we have hope, we have promise uh, from a science standpoint in this fight? Well, uh, you know, these are, this is nature, right? Mother nature. This is a biological uh, thing. These are birds that migrate. Migrating birds, when they get to their destination, mix and match. So some of this is unknown. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. I can't sit here and tell you, and I don't think any scientist can with any certainty, that we aren't going to be dealing with this again in the spring. 
or that we're done with it this fall or this winter, uh, meaning that I, I can't predict what's going to happen there. We have to maintain a state of constant readiness when it comes to that. Um, it's important to track that. It's important to test birds in the wild population so that we can try to determine, we try to anticipate. I think it's interesting that, you know, I think we're all trying to figure out what are the positive ways that artificial intelligence could potentially be deployed, right? And, yeah. Well, I hope that maybe they're not hosting the podcast here, you know, you in never a couple know. of I years. Might be real you or might not. be. You might not. <laughs> I might be real or not real. But I think among the things that you do look at is say, well, how can we deploy new, you know, new technology or IT uh, insights into trying to pre be more predictive of where is where are things moving within the wild bird populations? I don't know. I, th those are things I'm interested in, and I know mm -hmm. others are as well looking at. I'd say the other piece that and and this is not this is not a panacea this is not a uh, this is not a, a fix a fix for everything and that would be vaccine um and again whether we're talking about fmd asf or hypath i think we should be very interested in understanding how vaccines could be developed and then possibly how they could be deployed mm -hmm. there are trade implications to using vaccines right because again you're you're you're, uh, you've got to be able to prove that a bird or a product, you know, wasn't affected by that FAD that you're that you're trying to prevent the spread of, and so there's there's got to be a lot of development there. But I'm I'm pro development and and trying to figure out if this could be used as a tool. But there's all kinds of policy implications and trade implications that have to be mm -hmm. worked out around that. But I'd rather know that we had a tool and a potential to use it than to say, well, we don't know. And so I think whether it's again ASF or or high path, I think we ought to be we ought to be thinking about those things. So those are maybe the the interesting things. That and you we've talked extensively about it. It would be what what is the next level on biosecurity? How do you prevent? What's the next thing that you can do to try to to be a better protective in another round? Do you get the sense private industry is going to lead that vaccine work, or the government is going to contract out? Or where is that meet? The com meaning of the that's two. a combination. And, yeah. and, and that's how that should be. And that's how it is in this whole space. Um, it really is a, I, I, it's, it's a three leg stool. If that's mm. what you want to say, states, you know, state of Iowa, we've got, we've got tremendous assets, Iowa state university, college of vet med, the vet diagnostic lab in Ames, you know, such an incredibly important asset and tool for us. That's where all of our testing is done is up in Ames. And thank goodness that we can get in a car and drive there. And we're not flying samples or overnighting samples. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times we've got call comes in. We're already on the road. They can get them, you know, those samples run and we'll have results. The, nobody can do it faster than what we can get done here. Uh, and so we've got those assets. You've got USDA that has very important assets also in Ames, but other places. Uh, equipment that we need, but the third leg is industry, and whether that's the, you know, uh, uh, pharmaceutical you know companies or the industries themselves or the grower groups, you know, the checkoff organizations that are investing, it's all of the above. We we all need to improve our capacity, but everybody needs to be invested. And everybody has been invested. I, I think I heard you on this program uh, before Thanksgiving at one of the last big outbreaks, uh, surge of them. 
You were, again, talking about, uh, from the consumer standpoint, those who don't have any connection to mm-hmm. the bird other than they go to the grocery store and, and pick it up. These animals are safe to eat, or they're not, they're not in the food supply, but That's the, right. the food supply is safe. That's right. And, and we, we like to end every conversation or press release that we do with that point, which is, look, it, it always, it's always a good idea to properly prepare food, right? And you should do that to temperatures and all those things. Safe handling is always a good idea. Uh, but but that's that's the point of having the robust system that we do is that we head these things off. Uh, when we have a detection, those birds are not entering the the food the supply chain. And there is there there's also this idea that you don't want to see animal diseases jump into the human world. And so that's the other reason that mm-hmm. we want to be very aggressive and successful in our efforts to manage these diseases. And uh, and why it's important that other countries are doing the same thing. I mean, we need to hold others accountable as well. Uh, for ensuring that that they can also say that they have robust systems. Secretary Mike Dank, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. My thanks to Mike Nag, Secretary of Ag for the state of Iowa. New episodes come out each and every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can be in the know. Watch or listen to our next episode. Bye-bye.